0: I know you're all bummed that there was no um, gospel rap there for two minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and start with that. Uh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you have a Bible, you can open up to uh, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11. I wish I could start with a gospel rap, that would be awesome. Um, We've been in the book of Acts now for almost 30-ish sermons, and We've just finished a section, Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. And that, that whole section of ten one through eleven eighteen, we looked at for four weeks. And it was the salvation of Cornelius and really the ushering in of the Gentiles into the family of God. And um, if you've been going with us uh, through the book of Acts, you'll see that there's a, there's a shift in the narrative. The story that's been happening thus far in Acts chapter 10 and 11 is shifting away from that and back to what Luke's been talking about. So you see in Acts chapter 11 verse 19 it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution. So that's, that's going back to whenever Stephen was stoned and they all were persecuted. So there's a shift in the narrative here. And as there's a shift in the narrative, um, there's going to be a moving away out of uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, north to Antioch, and they're going to plant a new church. This is also in Gentile territory. So this particular section here is uh, the final steps of the gospel being planted to the Gentiles, and it's how the, the first Gentile church, um, or how a Gentile church, church is planted in the city of Antioch. So I'm going to read it, uh, so we can, just want to let you know what's going on. We've, we've shifted away from that Peter narrative, and it's kind of reaching back over to Acts chapter 7, 8, and bring us, and remember that part, and we're, we're moving over to that again. And so I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll uh, talk through it. So let's, let's read it. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Also, And when he had found him, he brought, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We, we thank you for uh, this, this window as we, as we look into the city of Antioch and the church being planted there. And I pray that as we see um, all the things that are happening in this particular text, there's, there's quite a bit that we would see these things and apply those things to our context and to our church as as we are the body of Christ, the church. Uh, We wouldn't just hope that it happens to the church we go to, but we would see ourselves as the church and we would seek to have these things happen in our church ourselves. We would carry out some of the same things we see happening here as this church is planted in the Gentile uh, 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 city of Antioch, that we would have those happen here. So pray. I pray, Lord, for us all that our eyes would be open, our ears would be open, Holy Spirit move, and as we see the things that happen in this church, we would pray for those things in our own life, and God, that um, by your Spirit, we would do these things, that we, the church, would do these things in our city. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I, I want to key in on verse, one verse. Uh, And then we'll zoom out and and go through it. But as I was studying through this, um, there was a verse that jumped out to me. uh, And I want us to to consider it for a moment. Uh, Similarly, as we've been looking over these other verses in chapter 10, I want you to look at verse 21 with me. And I want you to just consider with me what this would look like if this was our church. Consider um, the stories we would tell to people If verse 21 just happened to us. Consider how joyful we would be if verse 21 would happen to us. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This is what we desire to happen at Remedy. I mean, we we can put a lot of stuff on a list of what we want. In a building and, you know money and blah 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 and you know things that we want it wouldn't be nice to have this and that and this kind of ministry and that kind of ministry and this kind of thing um, and a, you know whatever a, a sound system that doesn't shock you when you touch it Th- those kinds of things would be nice right um we do want those things but at the core the essence of all that we want verse 21 is what we should want as a church the hand of the lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the lord we're going to see in this particular section a church being planted in Antioch. Barnabas uh, will be one of the key people used here to plant this church. Um, We are, as you know, uh, a member of something called Acts 29. This is a church planting network and one of the goals of Acts 29 church planting network in the southeast is that we want to have 200 churches planted by the year 2020. Um. We have one hundred and eight right now, and so in the Southeast United States, one of the goals being an acts29 church and all the acts 29 churches are trying to join in with this is we want to see another almost hundred churches planted in the southeast every every section every of the country has their plan, has their goal has their plan but that's our goal that's our plan and, and I want for remedy to be a part of that if remedy in the next four years can plant a church um, that's awesome if remedy in Acts 29 church, then they get to count it in their thing. If we just plant a church, I'm happy, right? That's what I want. But um, we should want to see a church planted through our church. We, we don't want to you know, get 60 years old and finally, finally plant a church. That's being pregnant for a long time. No woman wants to be plant, pregnant for 60 years. Um, we should want to give birth to a new church as soon as we can. Um, and so as soon as we're able. In this particular text, we're going to see some, some keys To how our church can be planned. And what are some of the things that can happen. If you're going to plan a church. Um, So if you go back up to verse 19. It's speaking of the persecution of Stephen. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution. That arose over Stephen. uh, Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. Now uh, you may not be uh, familiar with this persecution. Maybe you weren't with us back in Acts chapter 7 and 8. So I'll, I'll go ahead and read it to you. If you go back to chapter 7. Start at verse fifty-four. Uh, Stephen has given a speech to people that don't like him. They don't like what he has to say, and, but this is what he says. Uh, he, he had just told them that they were stiff-necked, that they basically don't love the Lord, even though they think they do. And in verse fifty-four, this is their reaction—not uh, good. When they heard these things, they were enraged, uh, and they ground their teeth at him like you know all grown men do um, when they're mad. And they gazed into heaven and then they saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And behold, I see, the, Stephen said this, uh, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The only time that we see the Son of Man standing is always sitting. So, I mean, this is pretty amazing. Uh, his, his, what Stephen sees and the, the, how pleased Jesus is with Stephen. In verse 57 it says, but they cried with a loud voice. And stopped their ears and rushed at him. So they're grinding their teeth. They put their hands over the ears. And they're kind of screaming. And they just run at him. Um, And then it says they cast him out of the city. And they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Whom whom we're going to see here in a second. He got converted in, in Acts chapter 9. And when they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. I mean, this is amazing. People are killing you for your faith. And this is what he says about those killing him. Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep or he died. Now, as that happened, this is the first Christian martyr. As that happened, all the other Christians who saw this are thinking, oh no, this is going to happen to us. So you can see in verse one of chapter eight and Saul approved of the execution and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church or all Christians in Jerusalem all of uh, Christianity had been contained to the city of Jerusalem at this particular time now where we are it started to move out but in this time it was only in Jerusalem and so all those Christians in Jerusalem you can guess what they're going to do not stay in Jerusalem so they don't die so they start leaving and this is What uh, Acts chapter 11 is talking about. And it says, and they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. The interesting thing is that the twelve stayed there. We'll see this uh, as an important thing again. But the the twelve disciples stayed in Jerusalem. And the the no names that we don't know about. That would seemingly be the the ungifted. They're the ones that went out and started proclaiming the gospel. And people getting saved and churches being planted. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen. And made a great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. he dragged off men and women, and put them in prison so this this guy, Saul, is a horrible character. you can see in Acts chapter nine uh, where he 's converted he 's walking on the road to Damascus, uh, right around verses four and five. Jesus confronts him, he gets saved now he 's been serving the church. so here we are at verse. Uh, 19 and chapter 11, it said, now there arose, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So I know that none of you um, have any idea, just like, you know, most of us, what the Old Testament, or I'm sorry, New Testament map looks like. So um, I have it up here for you so you can get a good mental picture of what's going on here. It's it's spread out, but this is because I don't know computers very well so here we are right here at jerusalem this is where everything had been happening thus far and this is the area of phoenicia and so as soon as the persecution happened people went all the way up here to antioch and it says that there's we're going to mention cyprus this this is this island here uh and this is tarsus this is where paul is from and this is where he is this is where barnabas goes and gets him but you can see people went through this kind of area right here of samaria and went up into antioch and that's where that's where they are I think it's sometimes helpful to at least have an idea of what's, when they're naming all these cities, like, I don't know these cities. Jesus, you know I don't know that. Thank goodness that the inspiration of the maps is in the back. They're not inspired. But um, so it's helpful sometimes to see. So if, as you're looking at the map, you can see here that um, persecution rose over Stephen. The word of that traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So the, the persecution was in Jerusalem, and word of that, because they, they didn't have social media. It's not like, you know, Oh, y'all got to see this is going on Instagram. Like, it took a while for people, for places to get, for things to get somewhere. And then you're still wondering, is that true? Because I didn't see it. No one posted it. Like, I, I don't know if it's true. But word had traveled all the way up, even into this region, that Stephen had been killed and Christians were being killed. And so they're, they're obviously uh, nervous. But also, the, the people that left Jerusalem were going all over and someone up there. And as they went... As I said this before, they didn't just get quiet. They didn't just just say, well, Stephen got killed for sharing his faith, so we better move to another city and just blend in and be quiet. That's not what they did. You can notice this in verse 20 and 21. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch spoke to the... Oh, let's go back up, sorry. Um, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So you have some people who left Jerusalem uh, because they're thoroughly Jewish. They went up to Antioch and they're just looking for people who are Jewish. They were extreme nationalists. They they wanted people only that were Jewish to to hear the, the gospel. And so they're they're only speaking people to people that are Jews. But, it says in verse 20, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, so that came over from the island over to Antioch. And as they came over there, it says, they spoke to the Hellenists. And it says also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So the gospel is now spreading north. And as it's spreading geographically north, it's also spreading culturally, crossing from Jew, Jew, Jewish people into Gentiles. And so there's, there's an amazing move now. You can get off the map uh, now. So... They, uh, there's an amazing move of the gospel here. It's moving away from not just people who are Jewish. It's moving to Gentiles as well. And here we see as they go up to this city of Antioch, the first thing that they're going to do is preach the Lord Jesus or speak the word. And so uh, one of the keys and facets of church planning is this. It's the first one. Is churches must populate themselves with new converts through the preaching of the gospel. That's the first thing, a key facet in church planning. Church planning 101 is whenever you start a church, you want new converts. You don't want to just see um, people transfer over their membership, if you will. And they understand this. When they get there, these no-names, these people that you've never heard of, go there. And as soon as they get there, there are some who are only speaking the word to Jews. But there are also some who are speaking the words to Jews and Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. Um, Kent Hughes said Antioch was not evangelized by the apostles, instead by average members of Christ's body who are willing to share their faith. So that's all of us. We're not superstars. None of us are. But we can can do this. That's why when I prayed that we would see these things happen because we are the body of of Christ. We are the church. We don't want just that to happen in our church. But since we are the church, we would do these things. All of us here are just average people, as he says, that are going to, we're not the apostles, average members of Christ's body. And we're just going to be willing to share our faith. So the first key in church planning is that we would Share our faith with people that don't know Christ in order for them to be saved. Um, Stott writes that the Greek mission is initiated by unnamed evangelists. Here we have people that, that we don't know. Just like us. Our, our great grandkids aren't going to know our names. They're not going to know our names. Our grandkids are going to know our names. Our great grandkids are not going to know, like 99% of us. We're all going to live well for the Lord and die unknown, except by Jesus. So since that's the case, let's all be faithful to Christ. Let's be the kind of people that want to proclaim the gospel and see new people brought into the church. That's the first key facet to church planting. You gotta have new converts. And then it says this, verse 21, which we looked at, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believe turn to the Lord. And this is the prayer that we should have for the church. Number two, one of the absolute keys for church planning. Churches should pray for the hand of God to be on them. We should pray this often. We have corporate prayer once a month. We know that we, ha- we bait you to come with food so that you'll see that it is absolutely valuable to pray with your church body for the hand of the Lord to be on us. And the crazy thing is, um, half of our people in our church come 12 times a year. That's it. 12 times a year out of 365 days, half the people come. That's because I don't understand, I don't think that we value it. If we valued it, we would come. It's crucial that we as a church pray, and we only do it once a month pray that we are begging the Lord's hand to be upon us. We we won't see um, it. I don't want you to miss the connection. We won't see, number one, um, courage to share the gospel and new converts happen if we're not, number two, begging the Lord to have his hand on our church. So this is me begging you to be a part of corporate prayer, begging you to pray with us. I, I know that you can pray at the other 30 days of the month and you should, you should, but there is something key about our hearts being united together as we pray together and the Spirit's moving. But as we look at verse 21, I want you to see a couple of things. It says, the hand of the Lord was with them. What does that mean? The hand of the Lord was with them. I think this is the blessing of God on all their ministries, on all their plans that, they're be, that are being made. They're making their plans, they're, they're creating their ministries... And they're not failing. They're not a huge, big dud. The hand of the Lord was on it. Oh, to have this in our churches. And it says, a great number who believe turned to the Lord. This is, again, the same thing. The blessing of the Lord on all their plans, on all their ministries that they're doing. They're creating things, and as this happens, the Lord is blessing them. As a matter of fact, this hand of the Lord is not a common phrase in the New Testament. Luke, the writer, only uses it, he's the only person that uses it in the New Testament. And this, it's very common in the Old Testament, but not in the New. The hand of the Lord is when God is signaling that he is making his, his might and his power tangibly visible for us. And so we want this. We want the Lord to have his hand uh, visible in our church, we want to see a great number of people brought into the faith. What brought the hand of the Lord here? We want that. What brought the hand of the Lord in this particular verse? I I think that there's, there's two things that we can see. That you can say a whole lot of things, what brings the hand of the Lord. Prayer, which I've mentioned. But there's two things that happened here specifically. And as we see those two things, it says right after that that the hand of the Lord is with them. The two things are right above it. In verse nineteen, they persevered through persecution. They were persecuted, but they still persevered in the faith. They didn't say, tapping out, done. What's where can I go? I'm ready to go somewhere else. I'm done with this Christianity thing. Number one, they persevered through the persecution. They they decided that they're going to say, Jesus is more precious than my very own life. I'm not leaving the faith. And the second thing is, they continually shared Jesus with people. And as they persevered in the persecution, and as they continually shared their faith, the hand of the Lord was on them. So, if we want the hand of the Lord to be with us, we need to persevere through any measure of persecution the way that Christ would want us. And we need to be actively sharing our faith. And then I put that third one. Pray like crazy that the Lord would send his hand. So... Let's just, let's just take a step back, and I won't, this is an answer out loud, right? This is, this is you thinking about you right now, indwelt by the Spirit before the Lord Jesus. Think about those three things. In your own life, are you persevering through any kind of persecution? If there's persecution coming your way that is trying to push you away from believing in Jesus, and this could just be your own sin, And you're not persevering. Um, This is a side note. But it was quite good. Uh, This past weekend. We had. a a, a Southeastern seminary class. That I was partnering with Jack. And Dave Keene. And Scott Davis. Uh, We were teaching on discipleship. And Jack came on Friday. And just you know. Hit a home run like always. And as he's he's teaching. He says this. This is what he says. Um, American Christianity. I'm, I'm, I'm. you know, paraphrasing, and you have to get him to get the quote. American Christianity has basically hijacked this word struggling with sin. We take struggling as, I'm not even fighting anymore. It's just beating me and I'm not even going to try. I'm struggling with sin means I keep giving in to this sin all the time. I'm not even fighting anymore. That's just American Christianity hijacking the word struggling. The word struggling in the Bible insinuates that you're actually fighting. When you're struggling with something, if I'm wrestling and struggling with something, it means that I'm actually doing something. It doesn't mean I'm just like, oh, I'm struggling and it's just like killing me. That, that's how we have talked about fighting sin. That's not what it is. Struggling means I'm taking the bull by the horns by the power of the spirit and I'm shoving and pushing and I'm killing this sin every, with every uh, ounce of strength I have. So perhaps when I'm talking about persecution is coming and persevering you need to struggle. Biblically, struggle and fight. But also seeing the hand of the Lord is sharing your faith. So this is still just asking these questions in your heart and mind before the Lord. Am I struggling? Like really struggling. Not like oh I'm struggling pray for me because I'm like I'm struggling, I'm fighting. Number 2, am I sharing my faith? Am I 30 out of 30 days trying to share share my faith with people? Is it something that I know that Fudd says or Jack says or Joe says or whoever preaches on Sunday every week tells me I'm supposed to do, but I never do it. I I talk about church. I talk about and try to do good things and try to demonstrate, but I never actually get to the declaration. Like, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Do you want to trust in Christ today? I never get to that part, which I know that's the difficult part. All, that's like the whole thing, but that's the hard part. You got to get through like a lot of stuff to get to. But if we're never doing that, that's why we're not seeing the hand of the Lord on our on our church. And are you praying for that? Do you find yourself in your community group and your prayer with your husband or wife, with your roommates, or just by yourself daily in your communi- In your uh, reading the Bible, do you find yourself stopping and saying, "Lord, would you would you Put your hand over our church and bless it. Let us see an outpouring of the Spirit that when we step back, we say, only God did that, not us. I would beg of you to do these things. We want in our heart of hearts as believers for this to happen in our church. We really do. But that's why I prayed in the beginning that we wouldn't just say, I hope that happens in the church, but we would realize, hey, you're the church because the church is not a building. The church is not, you know, this kind of ethereal gathering of people, but not I'm part of. But I'm part of the church because I'm part of the body and I need to see these things happening in my life. I need to be the kind of person that fights I need through my sin. I need to be the person that kind of, that, that shares the faith, my faith with people that I know don't know Jesus and I am going to pray faithfully by myself and with my church body that his hand would be on our church. If we're gonna plant churches, we need to share our faith and number two, We need to pray that the hand of God would be on us. Now here's what happened at this particular church. Remember, these are no-names who have no idea. They haven't sat in immersion class. They haven't sat in discipleship 101, 201, 301, and 401. They haven't been under expositional preaching for a good seven years. They haven't had any of that stuff. They just didn't want to get killed in Jerusalem, went to another city, started sharing their gospel with people, and people got saved. So they're unnamed, but they they're untrained too look what happens the hand of the Lord is with them great many people are saved verse 22 the report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas so go back to the map for me go back to the map so here we have persecution happens everybody gets back up here this, this, is, not, uh, this is not a short distance I know it looks like here it's only about 7 inches but it's not it's, it's a long way The Lord starts blessing here, and then all of a sudden, word gets back. Without social media, word of mouth. Word gets back to here. Barnabas hears about it, and Barnabas is like, well, I'm going to go up there. If that's where the Lord is, that's where I want to be. I mean, he's everywhere, but that's where the Lord's blessing, I want to be. So he goes up there. So this is is quite a bit of movement happening. But I want to look at this. The report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. God's moving up in Antioch. And what did the church in Jerusalem do? Well, that's awesome. But we've got some pretty key figures here. So we need to keep those key figures here. Find Joe Blow, Nobody and send him up there and let them help. That's not what they do. Who do they send? Barnabas. Like the stud. Like they pick a, a towering figure and they say, if the Lord's moving, we're going to take some of our best people and we're going to send somebody awesome up there. Go up there, Barnabas. And so we have here an amazing move by Jerusalem. It says where they sent Barnabas up to Antioch. Things were going so great, the report reaches them all the way down in Jerusalem. And they send Barnabas. The church in Jerusalem wants to be a part of the move of God. And they send their best help up there. They don't send to nobody. They send Barnabas. As one commentator says, the man with the biggest heart in the church, Barclay says that. He was the son of encouragement. His name was Joseph. His name was Joseph. But they called him Barnabas, Bar, son of Nabas, cur- encouragement. Son, it literally, it literally just meant son of encouragement. It's like if I just called you, hey, son of encouragement. Like that's what they called him. I don't want you to miss that Barnabas is like just a name. It's actually son of encouragement. His name was Joseph. And so Jerusalem is willing to take the hit in their own church and send somebody extraordinary 300 miles north to give them help. People are getting saved and they need help. People need to be discipled and they need help. People need to grow now and they need help. And so they send one of their best up there. Key facet for church planning. Number three, churches need to be willing to send their best people to help start churches. Churches need to be able to send their best people to help start churches. And this hurts. This stinks. It's not fun. Believe me, I know it's difficult. Uh, we were, I don't know, maybe three years ago, could be three, a part of helping Hill City get started. We didn't plant them, Andy was already planting. But we did send, I don't know, 15 to 20 people. Uh, that went and helped him start the church. That's stunk. I didn't want to send, as a three-year-old church, or whatever we were at the time, another 20 people and a really good evangelist. I didn't want to send Brett Sartain. But churches should try to send some of their best people to help start churches. And now we have two churches that love Jesus and love the gospel. Well, there's more, but we had two in downtown. Like, we can see the value of adding churches to the city. Because the ones we have aren't reaching all 75,000 people. So we don't need less churches. We need more churches and if we're going to continually reach people. And we need to be willing to send our best. I know it's difficult. Believe me, I, I'm not the kind of person that wants to send the best out of our church to go start churches. That is not in me. That's, but I think it's biblical. I think it's biblical. And so if we're going to start a church in, in four years from now, hopefully, Lord willing, we We could then it's very likely that maybe a superstar at our church and their family and their friends might go. You can uh, let me apply it for you. This can happen in your community groups. Whenever you are your your community groups blowing and going, it's just 15, 20, 25. The best thing for you to do in order to reach new people is start a new one. And sometimes you have to take your best to send them out to start a new group and that stings, that bites, you know? Like you're like this is this I don't like that. This is My friends were in in that new group and I don't get to see them as much. I know that stinks. No one likes that. But for the sake of the mission, we don't have our own preferences on the forefront. We have the mission on the forefront. And we must be willing to send our best people to help start new churches. Even in our community groups. We need to send our best people to help start new community groups. Because more people will be reached with more community groups. We don't want them to get too big where they don't work and they're not as effective anymore. All right, so the next thing that we see is this. They send Barnabas in verse 23. And when he came to Antioch, this is what's so great about, about Barnabas. When he came to Antioch, what does he do? What does he see? He sees the grace of God and he was glad. The first thing that the son of encouragement walks in on the scene and when he starts surveying what God's doing... He doesn't look for the negatives. He automatically, because he's such a great guy... ...walks in and says... Oh, ...the grace of God's here. The grace of God's here. The grace of God's here. The gra- they're a mess. These people don't know what they're doing. They never planted a church before. And they don't have the apostles. Right? There's no way that they're planting... ...like a rock solid, knock it out of the park church. Right? But what does Barnabas do? He walks in, he sees the grace of God. And he exhorts them all with two things. He tells them... ...remain stead- faithful to the Lord and steadfast in purpose or with steadfast purpose so number four and this is really difficult this is really difficult um churches a key facet of church planning especially when you're starting out and nothing's ever working and nothing ever happens the way you ever dreamed and you you sit down with your core team and you're like this is gonna be awesome it's gonna work this way and it doesn't work that way for like seven years right <laughs> you're like well it never working we need to be the kind of churches, and we need church plants need to be kind of churches that look for the evidence of God's grace in their midst, like Barnabas. He doesn't walk into, um, because he's a son of encouragement, he doesn't walk into and immediately start telling him all the things that are going wrong and they're not doing well. Instead, he comes and he sees God's grace, and he's glad, and he points these things out because, as verse 24 tells us, he's a good man. He's not perfect, he's not Jesus, but he's a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. This is the kind of man he is, and it overflows into the kind of life he lives. So he comes in and he points out the good things that are doing. The people there had a long way to go in their faith. There's no question about it. They're all brand new Christians. They had a long way to understand how to relate with people and and live in a way that glorifies God. But when, when Barnabas comes in, he sees the grace of God present in the church. And because he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. We, we want that kind of descriptions to be said of us. That we're good men and women, we're full of the Holy Spirit, and we're full of faith. And whenever we come into a situation that's never perfect, because none of us are perfect, because we're all broken, we can start seeing the evidence of, of God's grace and not frustrate people. So even in your own life, how does, this, how does this happen for you? Whenever you're in your community group, can you be the kind of person who's a good woman a good man full of holy spirit full of faith in your community group and point out the evidences of god's grace in your group hey i wish we could be bigger yeah we could be bigger but how about this we are very we are very close to each other we've gotten an opportunity here to grow together with each other for a long time and the lord has blessed this relationship of these few couples we have and we are I mean, we really know one another. The Lord has blessed There's ways that you can see the evidences of God's grace in your community group. Or, if we're going to be even more um, prying in your business, what about in your own marriage? What about in your own marriage where it's really easy to be quick to point out the things that aren't good. But instead, be like Barnabas and be the kind of person that wants to point out the evidence of God's grace. Not always tearing down your spouse. This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But instead, this is what I see right now in your life. I see the evidence of God's grace in your life here, whenever you did that. Big or small, I see this here. I see this here. The Lord is moving in you. You might not see it, you may not be super excited about what's happening, but God's super excited about that. I see the Lord moving right here in your life. That's, these are good things to say to your spouse. These are good things to say to your community group. And churches on the whole, when they're first getting started and nothing works the way they want. You should, you should see the evidence of God's grace in their midst. Um, I, I struggle with this. I'll just be honest. I struggle with it. The elders, the other elders at the church are really good at this. They, they help me quite a bit. I, I immediately see like everything wrong, um, but they see the, the evidence of God's grace and they're, they're a gift. Uh, they're a gift here. All right, the last, or not the last one. There's two more. Ah, uh, had You fooled. All right, verse twenty-three. Uh, you can see here that they are. Uh, he walks in. He sees the evidence of grace there, and then he gives them this exhortation—a a twofold, two-prong exhortation: remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So he tells them as he comes in. This is a simple, deep, complex difficult, beautiful, very succinct advice. It's, it's all those things. Number one, if you're going to be the kind of people that are going to persevere as a church and the Lord's going to use this church, you people here, walk close with Jesus. Walk close with Jesus. Remain faithful. Write this down right now. Read, write, write this down, whatever you're writing down. Read John 15. Read John 15. This week, I want you to all read John 15. In community groups, read John 15 and talk about remaining faithful or walking close with Jesus. You'll see over and over, depending on whether you're using the ESV or the non-inspired version, the NIV, it's going to say either, I'm just kidding, for all you niv years. It's going to say remain or abide. Count how many times you see the word remain or abide. Remain or abide. It's, it's in there over and over and over and over and over. Remain, 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 remain. Or abide, 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 abide. And this is, this is what we should do as, as people who are called by Christ. We should walk close with Jesus. And then he says, to, with steadfast purpose, we need to stay on mission. So you can go ahead and put up number five. This is, churches need this. Churches should never move away from the original mission. It's easy when you plant a church to move away from the original mission and make all kinds of things your mission now. Good things. Not, ba- not bad things. Good things. Make all kinds of things the mission now. But at its essence, at its core... When everything's said and done, all the additions are fine. But in order for you to be a church, this is what we need to do. We need to walk close with Jesus and we need to stay on mission. We need to remain faithful and we need to have steadfast purpose. Obeying Acts 1-8 or Matthew 28 or whatever. I'm using Acts 1-8 because that's what we are. Be witnesses. Because these, these things are the mission. Walk close with Jesus, your own personal life, share the gospel with others. See other people come to know Christ. Don't move away from the mission. Don't make other things the mission. The church's mission is this: that we as a church honor God, worship God, pursue righteousness and holiness in our life, and reach other people. Churches shouldn't move away from there. And when that's done, you see in verse 24, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit, and when he told them to remain faithful and to have steadfast purpose, what happens when you have a church be in the church? Look at verse 24b, and a great many people were added to the Lord. A great many people were added to the Lord. We have that in verse 21. Um, Hand the Lord's with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And here we have it again in verse 24. A great many people were added to the Lord. There's a refrain here happening. We want the Lord to bless. We want people to be saved. But there seems to be this thing here in the text that says, therefore, we as the church need to share the gospel, remain faithful. Be a, a, a person that walks close with Jesus and shares the gospel, and then we'll see it. That's the refrain over and over. Do it, Lord! And he's like, look at the text. Remain faithful and share the gospel. You, you can't just ask for it. You also should share the gospel. This is the whole point of Romans 10. So, we need to... Uh, we need to never move away from the original mission. And, and just as a side note, Stott points out something that's pretty awesome. In verse 24, when we saw that, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Stott says this, the additions are not just to the church, but to the Lord. When we see, because we know the Lord is the author of all salvation, the Lord adding people, not just to the church, but the Lord adding people to the Lord so that God is both subject and object. God is both source, and goal of evangelism, we have to repent of all self-centeredness, of all self-confident concepts of our Christian mission. That God is the initiator and the goal of evangelism. He added, the Lord added people to the Lord. So whenever we call people to Christ, whenever we share the gospel, remember, we're calling them to now be worshipers of Jesus. Not just part of our, our community, not just part of our church, but primarily, we're calling them to be followers of Jesus, worshipers of Jesus, he now becomes their God. Here's where Barnabas gets even more awesome. So Barnabas automatically is willing to go, you know, 300 miles north up to Antioch and and help out. And it says this, so when Barnabas, so uh, more people were added as we see in verse 24 and it's just like Barnabas thinks, there's a lot of people. There's no way I can do all this by myself. I need to get some help. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Put the map back up for me. Put the map up. So here, instead of going back down Jerusalem and getting more people, Barnabas thinks, I know who can help me. Saul can help me. So he goes over to Tarsus and gets Saul and brings him back. He doesn't go back to the apostles. He goes over to Tarsus. Paul, Saul, he's not like, Paul, you know, yet in Acts. He's still kind of like, that's Saul dude, remember how he killed everybody? I mean, I know he's been a Christian a while. It seems like this is for real. But, were you we sure about this guy Saul? This particular act of Barnabas. This particular act of Barnabas. Bringing Saul to Antioch to help plant the church. Makes Saul, Saul! So, this move of Barnabas. Consider this humility. It's, it's, it's going to be Barnabas and Saul. And this act makes it Saul and Barnabas. This act is what ushers, as one, one uh, commentator, Thomas, says, this initiative would change the shape of world history. This is amazing humility. Like, Barnabas shows up because he's Barnabas on the scene, and everybody's like, Barney's here! Woo! He's the man! And he's probably walking around thinking, yeah, I'm the man here. I need help. Can I, can I try to handle this by myself and be the man? Or can I get somebody, be humble, who's probably in the end, More gifted than I am. Bring them here. Let them bless the socks off this place. And everybody's going to not think I'm so great. But he's so great. But it makes the mission here in Antioch grow like crazy. That's what I'm going to do. And so he humbles himself. He goes over and gets Saul. And when he had found him. He brought him back to Antioch. And look at this. For a whole year they met with the church. And taught them. A great many people. whole year so this isn't like hey come do a a couple things this is come live here for a while so here we see the great humility of of Barnabas first he knows he needs help and he's willing to go ask for help second he's willing to not just go get somebody that's you know can barely cut it he's willing to get somebody that we clearly see which he already knew is far more gifted than he is and he's going to come there and he's going to help preach and teach um, these new converts for a full year and this is the turning point as Barnabas's humility is on full display this is the turning point where they're going to go explain to new converts what it means to walk in the faith and help them grow and this is going to move from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas now Saul had been a Christian at this particular point for about seven or eight years by now He had been a Christian, so there's a a big jump in the the years here. He had been a Christian for about seven, eight years, and he had probably been persecuted a good bit. And so after being persecuted and persevering in the faith for seven or eight years, he was quite mature, and Barnabas knew this, and he knew he needed Saul's help. And it says for a whole year, they helped the church, and they met with the church and taught them. These two men, Saul and Barnabas, saw discipleship in this, this church plan of Antioch as a long-term project. Discipleship is a long-term project. It's hard, it's difficult, and it takes a long time. That's what discipleship is. It's, there's no quick fix. We want discipleship to be a microwave. Discipleship is a crockpot. It takes a long time. You can't zap it, and then the guy's got it, or the girl's got it. If you lead someone to Christ, or if someone needs to be discipled by you, It has to, you just have to realize it's going to take a while to do this. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of investing. So you have to create margin in your life so that you have time to share the gospel with people. You have time to disciple them. Don't slam your schedule so full that you can never ever disciple people. Because it's, the truth is, is it's going to take a long time. But if we're looking at this church wide, what did Paul and Barnabas do? Paul and Barnabas realized, if there's a church here, we need to create some kind of structure, some kind of plan, so all these people can get discipled. All right, let's go get Saul. And he and I, and over the course of the year, surely they raised up more leaders, because they left, and the church continued. So other people began the discipleship process. The big idea, you can go ahead and put up number six of this. Churches must create a comprehensive discipleship process. Church plants have to do this. If you're going to start a church, you can't just have just come here, hear me preach on Sunday morning. That's all you need. That's not it. That's not all they need at all. They need something Monday through Saturday. And what they need is a comprehensive discipleship process, which is here at Remedy, we've thought through and created with community groups and GCDs. That's why we have those here. That's why we want you to be a part of those at Remedy Church. You need to be, I say it, I think every single week, if you want to grow in Christ, if you really want to be a follower of Christ and Receive the discipleship that we've structured here at Remedy. It's good that you're here on Sundays, but you have to be in a community group as well. That way you're growing. And we would add also, uh, be a part of GCDs, or Gospel-Centered Discipleship. And you can see here, when all this is happening, a, a healthy church now is planted in Antioch. And it says in verse, the end of verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, let's not forget what Luke has just been telling us in Acts chapter 10 and 11. That everyone is um, titling themselves by their race. That's what's been happening. We're Jews, we're Gentiles. We're Jews, we're Gentiles. And here in Antioch, the, the, the summation of all this helps us see that we don't title ourselves by our outward appearance anymore. We don't title ourselves by what, what um, culture we grew up in. Because there's something more... Important, there's something greater that we can all unify ourselves around that honors God more. Stott says it this way, the unifying nature of Jesus and this new name they get. The name Christian was initially used to distinguish um, believers from non-Christians or unbelievers. But, um, I'm sorry, let me read that again. The name Christian was initially used to distinguish believers not from non-Christians but from Jews and Gentiles. So we use it as Christians and non-Christians. That's how we distinguish ourselves. Here, they were saying the the name Christian was initially used to distinguish believers not from non-Christians, but instead from Jews and Gentiles. Up until this moment, everyone belonged to one or the other grouping. What was so distinctive in Antioch is that now a third way emerged. Someone was neither a Jew nor a Gentile first... But a Christian. They were a Christian. Just as Antioch was regarded as the third city after Roman Alexandria. So these followers of Jesus Christ were regarded as a third race of men and there was something revolutionary about them. The application for us is, as we're looking at this, certainly we've been talking about church planting, um, but I want to reach back into the past few weeks and kind of bring it all together. That we are Christians first above anything else. That what unifies us is, is not our outward appearance, but instead the Lord of our hearts. And so it doesn't matter what race people are all over the world. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't mean if you're black or white or whatever. If you're a Christian, that's the kingdom that we adhere to first. And that's what makes us all brothers and sisters in Christ and part of the church. And now we as the church. Like us, or not like us, in the church, because we can join shoulders with them and go forward in the mission and share the gospel with people that we don't know. We can pray with people that are nothing like us. We can send our best. Doesn't matter who they are to the other churches, whether they're white or black or Jew or Gentile. We can send our best to those churches and help them. We can, as people that might not be alike, share the evidences of God's grace in the church. We can um, continue to go on in the mission. I can sit across from someone who's culturally maybe nothing like me and talk to them about what it means to be faithful to the Lord and staying steadfast in their purpose and in their mission. Because we're Christians first, not a certain race first. And we can disciple each other. We can have a comprehensive, we can sit in community groups together with people that might not be anything like us, but because we're Christians first, we're united around Jesus and we can experience amazing life together in community. We're going to go into a time of Lord's Supper where another point of unification happens around the table, where we say we're Christians first and we're unified around the table and it's signaled here in the church as we take the Lord's Supper together. And so as we, as we go into this time, I just ask that if you're not a Christian, you just observe and watch uh, the gospel be proclaimed to you and if you are a believer in Jesus, that you think on all these things that we've talked about, what it means to be a Christ follower. And for those that are believers in Christ, that you wouldn't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, but instead you would meditate on what Christ has done for you, that you're no longer in his eye a sinner, but instead a saint who's been declared holy, blameless, and righteous in his eyes. And then when you're ready, you can come forward and take the bread and take the cup, bring it back to your seat, and then I'll lead us all together and a time of Lord's Supper, uh, so that we can even see how unified we are as we take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, Jordan will sing uh, a song during this, and I invite you also, if you're ready, uh, if you want to, you can sing with him. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go into a time of Lord's Supper together. Jesus, thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace that you've given to us in Christ. Thank you for, um, eight years ago, forming this church body into a church, and Lord, I I pray verse 21 over us that your hand would move. Your hand would be with us. That we would be faithful to share the gospel. We'd be faithful to pray for your hand. And we'd be faithful to really struggle and fight against any and all persecution that comes and remain faithful to you. And that your hand would be with us. And as the text says, that we would see a many people believe And come to the Lord. We want to be used by you in our city God. Would you cause this to happen. Be with us now. As we take the Lord's Supper together Lord. And I pray that as we proclaim the gospel. To ourselves here. God, That we would be strengthened. By the good news of Jesus. We praise in Jesus name.